Welcome to the Healing Journeys Today podcast. Today we've got an amazing message of hope and healing just for you. God's Word never returns to Him void, so let this message sink deep into your heart so that you can walk out your complete healing journey today. Hey, hello everyone. This is Mike Hesh with Healing Journeys Today. Just want to say thank you for joining me. And uh, today we're going to have a question and answers uh, today from the Word of God. We're going to connect some of the dots of God's truth with uh, your ans- with your questions. So we'll look at that today. Anyway, so hey, let's just hop in today to our questions and answers uh, right away. I want to thank you uh, uh, for me today and, and also for blessing me. I appreciate you guys doing that. Uh, you sent some questions ahead of time because I know sometimes it gets, you know, it's a slow start for all of us. So I'm going to start with just a few questions that people uh, emailed me uh, at my website. And again, you can message me there uh, at mykeshministries.com with your questions. So I'm going to get to as many questions as I can today. Uh, I'm going to start with the first question that we have is uh, from Ashley. And uh, the question is, um, you'll see it up there on your screen. And basically, she wants to know, uh, you know, we hear that God is good and he doesn't put sickness on people. And she sees these as uh, doesn't really see them reconciling in her mind and heart. So uh, particular, she brought up Acts chapter 13 and Revelation chapter 2. I do want to make a comment on this before I answer the question. You know, many of the questions that we have received are similar in nature to this. And I just want to share with you that as you get into the Word and you study and you're learning the Word, every piece of God's Word that you accept as truth is going to be another piece that adds to everything else in the Word of God. So as you grow in knowledge and understanding and revelation of discerning the Spirit of God, you're going to be able to understand more and more of your questions. So don't let the questions that come to your mind be a division to you. In other words, if something comes up and it it makes you uneasy or unsettled, you can know right away that the enemy is agitating you with uh, your lack of understanding. So just lay it aside. I use this expression. If I if something I feel that way about something in the Word, I just put it up on a shelf and I come back to it at another time when I've grown a little bit more in the Lord. Or sometimes the Spirit of God will just lead me to just dig into it. And I'll dig into it. I'll read all the scriptures about it. And so today my answers are going to be brief uh, and they're only there to inspire you to dig into the word for yourself, where not only will you hear the answer, but the answer will become revelation to your heart as well. So again, I'm in Acts chapter 13, and uh, Ashley sees, you know, I'm not going to read it just for sake of time, but there's this guy, Elimaeus, he's a sorcerer, and uh, Paul is ministering the word of God. He's been sharing with people who have not heard the word of God, and there's a particular deputy or leader in this uh, city that he is in, and his name is Sergius Paulus. He's a prudent man. He wants to know, uh, to hear the word of God. But this man, Elimaeus, who was a Jew, he was also a sorcerer, was trying to keep this guy, Sergius, from healing. 
hearing the word of God. And so this obviously was going on for some time where this Jew was hindering other people from hearing the word. So when Paul uh, spoke this over him and he said, he said, uh, then Saul said in verse nine, he said, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, oh, full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Now that's important to understand. See, it's the spirit of God that's rising up in Paul, in Paul to stop what the devil is doing through this man. But this man's will was given over to be against. So it wasn't just the devil working through him. It was his own will that was hindering the gospel from being preached. And so what did Paul do? Paul said, look, if you won't, if you, I can bind the demons and they're not giving you any help. But if your will is to just of your own free will to try and stop what God sent me here for, that's not going to happen. And so Paul spoke that over him and he actually received the manifestation of his own hardness of heart. And now he wasn't just blind uh, spiritually, but Paul spoke this over him so that he would be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. Now, Paul didn't make him blind. He did the very same thing to this man, LMS, that was done to him on the road to Damascus. It wasn't blindness to hurt him. It was blindness to help him see. Now, I have a teaching on this uh, on the website. It's called uh, The Blind Man Who Could See. And I'm going to I'm not sure if it's on my website yet. I, I, it might be, uh, but I encourage you to listen to that as long as well as the teaching on my uh, on the healing journeys that I called. Um, uh, let's see, dirt. Let's see, spit, dirt, uh, and uh, yeah, something that equals uh, healing. And it's about the blind man. It'll go into detail on this particular point that will help you with this. So again, very quickly, Ashley, uh, what, what this is saying is that God didn't make this man blind to hurt him. Uh, the spirit of the Lord inspired Paul to speak this over this man so that he would be disconnected from all of his senses so he could begin to hear the Lord. So it wasn't really against him. It was for him. Uh, and the idea that God makes people sick to get their attention, we don't see that here because this man of his own free will was resisting what the Holy Ghost was doing. So God has given us power in those cases where we can do the same thing as well. If we have someone that's resisting the Spirit of God, then if the Spirit inspires us to do such a thing, then we should. But it's, we can't just use it as our own will because the Spirit won't be in agreement with us. So I hope that helps uh, answer that question. The second part of her question was, what about the book of Revelations chapter 2 about the prophetess Jezebel? And, um, you know, that I would really have to get into that in a greater depth because uh, that is for a different dispensation. It's during the tribulation period. And at that time that uh, the church is spoken of there 
are don't include any born again believers because at that time there's no presence of the church of Jesus Christ mentioned during the tribulation uh, period. This, uh, what you're seeing in there in the first uh, two chapters about the seven churches of Asia uh, has nothing to do with the, the Christian church uh, at all. These are, the word church actually means a called out assembly. And so God is ministering to those assemblies that have gathered together that are not born again, that are that think that they're okay with God, but they're really not, and he's ministering to them. So I'd have to get into a whole study to really explain that in depth. And uh, so I just wanted to share with you, Ashley, don't be worried. Uh, that doesn't apply to you, those things in the book of Revelation, because you're filled with the Spirit of God. All the people in the book of Revelation, if you'll observe, none of them are born again. They don't have the Spirit indwelling them. So just put your mind at ease. Uh, one day I'll be able to teach on that, but right now uh, it would be too in-depth to go into that answer. So uh, the next question is, um, I have one uh, from Yuladi. Uh, hello, Yuladi. And uh, he's asking the question, can Satan put sickness or touch anyone he wants, including one with the Holy Spirit? And just the simple answer is, yes, he has that ability. But it's important to qualify it with this. You know, Paul said in uh, Ephesians chapter four, he said, neither give place to the devil. And we're told in Peter and James to resist the devil by submitting to the word of God, because the devil is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So the enemy is out there trying to devour and trying to consume uh, us to hurt, kill, to steal, to destroy. That's just his nature. So he's it has the ability, but not against our will. And why oftentimes it appears like he's just able to hurt people is because one, they don't understand their authority. Two, they think that they're walking with God and they're really not walking after the spirit. They're walking after their flesh. And number three, they're unsaved. So they really don't have any protection beyond their own free will. So in other words, the enemy can target them and they have no protection like you and I that are born again. And the second part of your question, even one with the Holy Spirit? Yes, of course. As I said in the beginning, Paul in Ephesians, as well as James and uh, Peter, they're writing to save people. And they're letting us know that that is, that is possible and uh, to guard your heart. Now, we don't have to walk in fear because the Lord told us that he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And this is where also they all minister that we need to walk in the spirit. Because when you're walking in the spirit, you're not a target for the enemy. He'll have no access to you at all. Now, there is, according, to, I need to add this about sickness. Do you know that uh, we're living in mortal dying bodies and they are weakening day after day. Like Paul said, the inward man is being strengthened daily, but the outward man is, is uh, fading away. Now that's scriptural. That's because we're in mortal bodies. So if we are in, a, if we get ourselves into a weakened state or we're, we're ignoring the leading of the Holy Spirit, we're allowing things into our life, 
then we're also giving place to the devil in that area. And it's not that he's just able to willy-nilly touch us and we get something. No, we've just made ourselves available to that and we haven't been listening to the Spirit. So the answer to your question is yes, he can. And uh, But uh, does that put us in a place of fear? No, God has given us power over all the power of the enemy. And the way that power is effective is by us listening to the Spirit of God, letting the Word and truth lead and guide us, and we'll be hearing the Spirit say, hey, look, watch out for the enemy. He's here. Watch out for the enemy. He's over there. And he'll lead and guide us so we can use our authority effectively and prevent things coming upon us. Or if they come upon us, we still have authority over the enemy to rebuke his involvement and then to receive the healing that's already been given us in Christ Jesus. So hope that helps you, Lottie. I have another question from one of your comments. Caroline's going to share with me. What is the difference between casting your cares about symptoms of sickness versus entering into God's rest? Okay, you can see the question on there. So basically the person wants to know, what's the difference between casting your cares on the Lord and entering into the rest? Well, you know, we have a lot of things come our way because we're still in our flesh. So we can be challenged constantly with... Uh, you know, attacks or thoughts. And so, like, let's say you have a symptom in your body and you're aware of it. That can create a care in your life. And so what I do or what the scriptures show is that if I realize something's nagging at my heart, not physically, but I mean, I might have a physical symptom that's nagging at my heart and my mind, then I don't want that to become a care. So I'll just say, Father, I just cast this off unto you. I know that I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. I'm not going to receive those thoughts from the enemy. I'm just going to rest in the place that you have given me in Christ. Now, I use the word rest in the place that you've given me in Christ. Now, that place that he's given us, we access by belief. So a care is something that is a result of generally of unbelief. A rest is the fruit of believing. So if you have a care, then that is really a fruit of unbelief if you've accepted that care. But if you've entered in the rest, you're believing what God's word says about your challenge. So you can't have a care and be at rest at the same time, at the exact same time. So if a care comes up, like I said, because you believe what the Word of God says about your, your symptom, then you roll that care off onto the Lord, and you, because you believe, that care will be go away. Like it says in uh, Philippians 4, it says, be anxious for nothing, or be careful for nothing. It says that when we commit that unto the Lord, that the, a peace that passes understanding will keep and guard our hearts and minds. But we won't roll that care off onto the Lord or cast it off onto him unless we believe that he truly has taken care of it for us. Amen? So the next question, please. Okay, so Don is writing in, and Don says, uh, you can see it on your screen there. Let me read it, though. I am right. Uh, okay, 
Uh, Don is thinking that only the apostles had the power or the authority to heal uh, in the book of Acts. And he uses the example about, uh, you know, Peter came to Lydia and he found that Tabitha was, uh, had died. And so it appears like in the, in the uh, you know, in the scriptures that only the people in uh, the apostles in Acts, the, the 12 that are mentioned, uh, were doing healings. But that's not really true because we just see that whoever was present writing the book of Acts couldn't be in every place at one time. So in other words, he was just there with the, with the disciples or the apostles, as you mentioned, and he was seeing what they were doing, like when you know Peter's shadow was touching those people. Now, it's important to remember, you can never take this variable out of this, these types of questions. Healing is never imposed upon someone without their belief. They have to have some kind of belief. In other words, there has to be a mustard seed on their part to receive. Now, we, like it says in Matthew 21, verse 22, that the result of believing is receiving. So if you're not receiving, then there's your minus on the end of believing. So every one of these people mentioned in the book of Acts that is receiving healing is also exercising the faith or the ability they have to believe to some degree in order to receive what's being presented or offered to them. So uh, we, can, we can go back to even when Jesus was ministering, uh, we see that uh, John and James came to Jesus and said, hey, we saw somebody casting out devils, but they're not following us. And Jesus made the point. He said, look, if someone's casting out devils in my name, they can't do it unless they're in agreement with us. So don't tell them not to do that. So we see that other people were hearing the truth, exercising it according to their belief, and they were getting results as well. Now, here's something that is also important to note in your question. Now, many people that are born again and believe in healing, they may not have experience or may not, as these people did in uh, the book of Acts, they didn't know that you could minister to someone uh, and they could be raised from the dead. They didn't know that. But when Peter came, he knew that he could raise people from the dead because Jesus told him he could. And so there's the example. I mean, there's the advantage that Peter had over all the others was he understood that there, that all things are possible to the one that believes, including as the Spirit leads you to lay hands or however that happened to raise people from the dead. Now, the emphasis I want to place here is belief, on Peter's part, understanding on Peter's part, and then also there's one other thing. He was being led by the Spirit to do that, okay? Now, I personally uh, ministered to, you know, a few people that, uh, you know, uh, were wanted ministry on behalf of someone that had passed away and uh, had gone on to be with the Lord. Now, of the many times that I've ministered, only one time that I can think of was I really led of the Spirit. And when I was led of the Spirit, 
that person was raised from the dead. Okay. Now it was in agreement with someone who was really strong in faith and was related to that person that had passed away. There's much more detail to it, but I just want to qualify that because I, like you, the first time I heard that I could raise people from the dead, guess what I did? Yeah, no, it doesn't work that way, folks. Uh, you need to be led of the spirit just like Jesus was. So, okay, so I think that answers that sufficiently. So we have another question on the screen. Do I have to start all over if I believed yesterday and I wake up with a doubt the next day? Do I start all over in the faith bucket? I know I've hindered God. Okay. Uh, think about this. The faith bucket. Does that mean was your bucket emptied overnight? Is that what you're thinking? No. Just because you have a doubt doesn't mean that you don't have faith anymore. See, you're actually applying, if you receive the doubt, you're actually applying your faith to the doubt. So if you want to get rid of doubt, doubt your doubts. Just because you have a doubt come to you, don't accept it. Just say, hey, wait a minute. No, I was healed by the stripes of Jesus. Just because I, I don't feel healed, I don't look healed, I don't smell healed, doesn't mean that God's word is not true in my case. So that's where you leverage your faith to push out the doubt and say, no, there's no room in my bucket, as you put it, for doubt. It only has faith in it. Start calling it your faith bucket. Okay, let me ask you a question. If you have two pitchers in your refrigerator and one is milk and one is water, would you ever refill the milk container with water? No, you wouldn't. Then you'd have, what would you have? Well, you'd have bad milk. Anyway, no, but so don't mix the two. You don't accept, don't change because you have a doubt, change your faith bucket to a doubt bucket. No, we as believers don't have a doubt bucket. We only have a faith bucket because that's what we were dealt in the spirit, through the spirit of Christ. And remember that if we're experiencing doubt, it's because we're not walking after the spirit. No condemnation here. It's just revelation because the fruit of this, one of the fruit of the spirits is faith. So we can say, wait a minute, if I'm focusing on doubt, that means I've started to give place to my flesh and I don't want to go there. Amen. So I hope that helps. Okay. I have a question from Miranda here, uh, that she sent in to us and, uh, Bless you, Miranda. You are healed by the stripes of Jesus. Those are the facts in your case. Her question is, how is it that I'm experiencing sickness even though I'm standing on the promises of God's word concerning safety and protection and healing? And she shared with us all these scriptures that she stands on. And then she made a point. Uh, I am given authority over the enemy, yet when I use it, nothing happens. I don't see results. The... Uh, the sickness or the challenge just continues its course. You know, uh, Miranda, let me just encourage you is that this happened to me as well. And many other people that I believe uh, that I, I mean, that I minister to. And the point I want to share with you is that we can think that we're believing, but we're really not. We're just really strongly hoping that it's going to work for us. And it's what I call uh, P 
peeking while you're praying. You know, you, you have one eye open and you're like, in the name of Jesus, sickness, get out of my body. And you're like, minister, you're trying to like feel, is it gone yet? Is it gone yet? And that's really not faith. What that is, is that's a hope so, think so, maybe so. Uh, and that's not what is required to embrace. Remember what it said uh, What uh, in Romans chapter 4, uh, it says Abraham was strong in faith. What made him strong in faith? It says he considered not his own body now dead, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. Both of those were required in order to fulfill the promise. Had he been focused on them, it said he would have been weak in faith. It's not that you're void of faith, Miranda. It's just that you're weak in faith. And what you should be spending your time doing is not trying to get healed because that in and of itself is a, a profession of, I don't believe I'm healed. But rather, start from the place that God's word says, I was healed. Therefore, I am healed. Now, I'm just going to get into the word to let the truth saturate my heart and mind to where I'm no longer looking to my flesh for evidence, that I'm just looking and resting in what the Spirit says is truth, regardless of what my body is telling me. So we undo our authority, we undo our confidence by checking in with our flesh, okay? You know, uh, you know I agree with, uh, I think it was Smith Wigglesworth that, that said this, you know, uh, somebody asked him once, they said, well, how you feeling today, Smith? He says, I don't check my body uh, for how it's feeling. I tell my body how it's feeling. And that's a good attitude that we should have. If we would live after that attitude, that's an attitude of God's word is greater than what my five senses can tell me. So it's not that the word isn't working. Many people with those questions, Miranda, you're not alone. I was there and many other people I speak with are there. They, what, under, what undermines your confidence is you're waiting to see before you believe. But I want to encourage you that if you'll believe with all of your heart, you will see. That's what David said. He said, I would have fainted if I hadn't believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Amen. So we could go into much more of that. Next question. Oh, okay. We have a question from Mike in 2 Chronicles 7.14. And you know, in the political environment that we've been in for the last, I'd say, two years, uh, this that we've heard a lot of 2 Chronicles 7.14. You know, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves... And I'm just going to flip there because, folks, you know, uh, it's important just because somebody's saying something to you that makes sense, you need to go to the Word and say, does this really have application to us? I just want to bring out, and Mike, you know, I believe you really did hear from the Spirit of the Lord because the Spirit of the Lord did, would not bear witness to this application that we're hearing all the time, that we... We as a nation need to humble ourselves and God will hear from us. No, the Bible says if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, okay? And God's not in the business of saving nations anymore. 
He had one nation, and that one nation that he had was for a purpose, and that nation was Israel. And he he shepherded that nation for a purpose, to bring forth his son. And what happened immediately after his son came forth and he died and rose again? A new covenant began that wasn't defined by boundaries of land or your ethnic background, okay? It had nothing to do with it. He said in Romans chapter 2 that he said, who is a Jew? He said, is it one that circumcises himself and studies the law of Moses? No. He said, a Jew is one that is one inwardly who has a circumcised heart. The moment you got born again, your heart was circumcised. In other words, the flesh that was separating you from Christ and our Father was now removed out of the way. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that that when Jesus was offered, the only thing that stood between us and him, which was a picture of the veil uh, between the temple and the, I mean, between the outer court and the holy, I mean, the holy and the holy of the holies was the veil. And that is our flesh. That's what hinders us from seeing into the spirit. So the only land that we have today is the body that we have been born with. And now this is a purchased possession according to 1 Corinthians 6 and 2 Corinthians 6. We don't belong to ourselves. We're the property of God. In the Old Testament, the land, the temple, God was a share, uh, what would you call it? The children of Israel were share croppers with the Lord. In other words, they shared equally in the land, but there were conditions to that land producing because Christ had not yet come. They couldn't exercise their own authority. Uh, that they had to go through the priest. It tells us in the scriptures that God would rebuke the devourer for their sakes, where today we have all that authority in and of ourselves. So although a a collective body of people can affect a, a nation in the sense that if everyone was following the word and walking after the spirit, uh, then there wouldn't be a need for, uh, what would you call it, a change of the political environment. So what we should do as an individual is we should walk with the Lord with all of our heart. We should be seeking after the spirit. And that's going to include sharing with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's going to be sharing with your neighbors. That's going to be being led of the Spirit to do certain things. But we're never going to get the whole world together by, uh, you know, stirring them up and saying, if we'll do this, then God will do that. No, God did everything necessary for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And if we will live and walk after the Spirit of Christ, then we're going to be affecting more people than we would by trying to change the political environment through, you know, verses like that. Now, I do want to bring out one other important point. This was a promise to Solomon and at the dedication of the temple. And God was saying, look, there are conditions to receiving under this covenant, okay? And if you're walking, like he said to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, he said, look, Joshua, if you will... Uh, meditate in my word day and night to do what's written therein, then you're going to make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. Now, the inverse of that was true also. If you wouldn't walk in the word, 
or you walked in the word and you wouldn't observe to do what it said, then you wouldn't be prosperous and you wouldn't have good success. So God is just simply repeating that promise to Solomon here when he's dedicating the temple. He's saying, look, there's a right and a wrong way uh, for this country to prosper, at speaking to Israel alone. And he said, look, and you as the king, if you'll tell my people these things and you'll lead them in this direction, then every promise and covenant that I made with Moses and all the children of Israel, you're going to see that fulfilled uh, as a nation. But if you don't, then you're not going to. But we don't have that today. The minute you became born again, you became a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And as Paul put it, he said, we're ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. Now listen carefully. Do you know that the, an ambassador is the highest ranking official from one country to another? And that as an ambassador, they have no rights or privileges of the country that they are an ambassador to. In other words, they can't participate in any of the political system, the governmental system. They have no connection there whatsoever. An ambassador cannot vote for the, you know, the government in which he's an ambassador to. Now, we have the same rights and privileges as ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. That's our first duty and our first call. But we're also citizens of the country that we live in. So we can participate as the Spirit leads us. Uh, and that's, that's where our limit should be. If the Spirit is not leading or not guiding us in that, then our role should remain, uh, the predominant role in our life should remain as the ambassador that we have been made. Now, another good thing about an ambassador is they have full diplomatic immunity. They are not subject to the laws of the country in which they are living uh, as an ambassador. So we're not subject to the things of this world as long as we're administering our role as an ambassador. In other words, uh, we have protections that go beyond just uh, you know being a Christian. Like think of Psalms 91. So there's much more I could minister on this, but I just wanted to emphasize that point that the land that we have is our body. The way that we walk with the Lord is through the finished work of Jesus Christ, not through what we're going to do or not do in this world. Although what we do or don't do in this world can have an impact on us that will affect our flesh and our physical bodies in this world. So that's a, that's a pretty brief answer, but I encourage you, Mike, to just dig into that from that point of view, and I think that'll be a blessing to you. So the next question is? From Alice. When healing did not, does not seem to happen when I lay hands to pray for the sick, is it because I am not fully saturated with the Word of God? Okay. What was her name? Alice. Hi, Alice. Um, Alice, no, not necessarily. Don't ever take the full burden of ministering to others on yourself. In other words, don't look to you being the sole person responsible or not responsible for the results. In other words, and the way I do this personally is I only minister as I'm being led of the Spirit. And I've even told people and and, and I'll say, you know what? I'm not getting any leading of the Spirit right now in this particular area. 
but this is coming to my heart and I'll minister to them in that area. You know, um, uh, we can look at Jesus. He did the same thing. If we'll uh, like take, for example, in John chapter eight, when uh, they threw this woman suddenly in his midst that was had committed adultery. Now, they said to him, they said, hey, the law says that if you catch someone in adultery, you need to take them out and stone them. Well, they, that was true. So Jesus had to be very careful in how he responded, not out of fear, but he wanted to respond in wisdom. So what, what did he do? I believe the reason that he sat down and drew on the ground was to give his heart a chance to hear the wisdom of his father so that he could minister in that place. And also, we don't know if he was praying for all those hearts to hear. You know what I mean? Uh, we don't know if he was exercising authority. We have nothing, no indication other than that he stooped down on the ground to draw. And you know, I've done that many a times. I've stopped and I've paused to wait to hear what the Spirit is leading and sometimes that pause seems uncomfortable to us. I remember I was, uh, I was ministering at us. I was speaking at a church and afterwards I was ministering to people. And, uh, and I stood there with a person for like what seemed like 10 minutes uh, because I didn't have anything. And I felt like there was something, but I just was comfortable to wait. And it was very uncomfortable for my flesh to stand there with the person and not do something. So I just told the person, I said, you know what? Uh, let's just be still here for a moment because I'm not getting anything. Remember that our ministry is not all the people in the line behind the person we're ministering to. The, the, our ministry is to the person in front of us. That's all it is. So until we have a new person in front of us, we shouldn't be looking any other direction. You know, look at how Jesus ministered. That's exactly how he ministered. It's like the whole world stopped for the one person that he was focused on. And you and I should have that same heart. So uh, uh, remember that you can't minister to something against someone's will like someone comes to you and they say, hey, can you pray for me? I have this condition. Now, there, there must be some agreement in their heart and belief for whatever they're asking for. Remember, what things soever we desire when we pray, believing we receive. So we're in a position of ministering when we're, uh, we're not in that place. So we should believe what the Spirit is telling us, and we should not let go of it. So if the Spirit says to pray for someone, let's say they're having a knee issue and uh, that they're perceiving the knee, like I'll use my wife as an example, had an issue in her leg and it seemed like it was physical, you know, everything, all the symptoms were physical, all that. But how did the Spirit direct me to pray? He told me to, that it was the devil jerking her chain and I took the chain out of his hand and beat him with it in the name of Jesus and told him to leave my wife alone. And that's exactly what he did. But she, she wasn't free of the symptoms until the next morning, okay, when they were completely gone. So we should never let any other variable 
be involved with what the Spirit of God is ministering to us in that moment. And just because someone's asking you to pray for them, don't let that determine what you're going to pray for. Let the Spirit of God lead you what you should pray for. And uh, what was it, Alice? Was her name Alice? So Alice, don't take that burden on of, of healing somebody, okay? Let the Spirit of God do the work in and through you. Remember, when Jesus spoke to the fig tree, he saw no visible results with his physical eyes. He saw them all after the Spirit, and he walked away. And he didn't send Peter and John back three or four times to check on it to see if it died yet. No, and he wouldn't have even looked at it the next day had Peter and John had uh, Peter not said something. And he used it as an opportunity to teach what faith looks like. Faith is hearing from the Spirit of God, following its direction to the T, and then just walking on and leaving the results with Him. So, next question. From Martina. Okay, I have one from Martina. Once again, folks, thanks for sending these questions in, and we're, we're getting to as many as we can today. Martina asks, do we need to keep the law once born again? What about those Christians who try to keep the Old Testament feast days, Sabbath days, and dietary laws? Okay, if you're one of those people, I, I'm going to wait for a minute while you go put on your steel-toed shoes, because I'm going to just step all over your feet right now. Okay, are you ready for this? Uh, you know what? Jesus fulfilled the law, and we should not be trying to keep a law. Listen to what, listen to what uh, Paul said in Galatians. I love this. And if you're following the law in any way other than, uh, I'll get to that in a moment, but listen to what Paul said. Okay, listen carefully. You can put your name in wherever I read Galatians, okay? Oh, foolish Galatian, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received you the Spirit by the works of the law, by the keeping of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? Wow, I could just put a period right there and we could go on to the next question. But unfortunately, no. Most of us are now at the place where we're trying to figure out how to keep the law and walk after the Spirit that we're born of. You can't mix them, folks. Listen to else what he says. Uh, he says right here, where is that? Um, it says right here, I'm in Galatians chapter 5. He says, For I testify to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. So let me ask you, law keepers. If your son is rebellious and he's not obeying you and everything, who are you going to get to take him out before the elders and stone him? Are you going to take him out and stone him? That's what the law says. Deuteronomy 21, 
if you have a stubborn and rebellious kid who's not walking in faith, that you're, you're to take him before the elders and you're to take him out and stone him. Are you going to do that? What about your friend who has uh, their husband committed adultery on them? Okay. Are you going to get all the believers in your neighborhood and go get that adulterer and the one he committed adultery with? And are you going to take them out and stone them? Okay. Folks, if you're going to keep the law, you got to keep the whole law. You can't just pick and choose what you're going to keep or not keep. And the feast days? Why are you keeping the feast days? Those were types and shadows that Christ has already fulfilled. In other words, are you going to worship the shadow or are you going to worship the one who cast the shadow? Which is it? You can't do both. Either you're going to look to Christ or you're going to look to a shadow. And folks, let me tell you, if you're trying to keep the law for any reason whatsoever, you know what it's going to produce in your life? It's going to produce condemnation. Because every time you find yourself not keeping the law, the enemy's going to be right there to point it out to you. And if he's not pointing it out to you where you've broken it, he's going to be patting you on the back, telling you how you're such a good law keeper. Folks, I'm going to rest in the law that Jesus fulfilled for me. I'm going to rest in his faith that he accomplished that through. Because then I cannot fall. I cannot fail because I'm living in grace. Okay, if you want to live after the law, then you're pushing the grace aside. Now, the person who wrote this question uh, made, uh, they said that this person that they were thinking of in particular says that the longer they've walked with the Lord, the more they want to keep the law. Now, that's, I understand that feeling, but that feeling needs to be brought into obedience to the word. See, you're not keeping a law to please God, but what you're doing is when you walk in the Spirit, what you're doing is you're not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. So the Spirit of God is not keeping feast days. The Spirit of God is not eating a certain diet. The Spirit of God is not uh, stoning people anymore, okay? It never did, okay? But the Spirit of God is doing things that produce love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, temperance, faith, goodness. That's what it's focused on, okay? Now, when you're walking in all of those, you're not going to be committing adultery. You're not going to be hating your neighbor. You're, you're going to be loving your neighbors yourself. You're going to be you're going to be walking in all of the truth of God's word, which is fulfilling the law. So don't try and keep a commandment that wasn't even written to you. Do you know that the commandments were written, the ones that you're trying to keep or the law keepers are trying to keep? They were written to the nation of Israel. Are you uh, one of the 12 tribes? Are you a Levite? They weren't written to anyone but those people. And then once Christ came and fulfilled them, those were done. There was no need to do them. Think of in the Bible, there is a man who's probably the most well-known law keeper in the Bible. And his name was Saul. 
and he later became Paul. Why? Because he saw that he was crucified with Christ. In other words, once he was crucified, he was raised a new creature, a new creature that wasn't bound by laws and commandments and ordinances and statutes. If you're trying to keep any of those, you're laying aside what Christ did. You're disesteeming the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, if you'll look at it that way, I hope that that would raise some indignation in you about trying to keep a law. And then one other point, this comes up so often about keeping the Sabbath day. Let me ask you, which day is the seventh day? Is it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Everybody says, oh, no, 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 it's Saturday. And how do they get that? Well, they say, look at all the Jews. Really? Are you going to use that as your evidence? The Jews are the ones who rejected Jesus Christ. So you're going to follow after their interpretation of the Word of God? How do we know what actual day it was? We don't know. Do you know that our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday are all named after the planets? And those planets, God said not to worship the host of heaven? Now there you are. If you're saying Saturday is the Sabbath, what are you doing? You're worshiping the host of heaven. You're breaking one commandment to keep another. You know, that's what the Pharisees and the scribes did. This is so ridiculous to me. Here they murder a man, an innocent man. They hang him on a tree and then they go to Pilate and they say, hey, we're not supposed to leave somebody on the tree all night because we'll break our law. <laughs> Can you believe that? What kind of logic is that? Okay. Anyway, I could go on and on, but I think that will, uh, that addresses your comment. But I do want to say this. I go into great detail about this, not specifically, but indirectly, uh, on a teaching that I entitled on my website called Lifestyle Choices and Healing. And I really would encourage you to listen to that. Okay. So thanks for the question, Martina. I keep claiming my healing, but as soon as symptoms come, panic sets in and fear. So does that make me an unbeliever? Well, it doesn't make you an unbeliever in that you've denied Jesus Christ as your Savior. But what it does is it says that you have unbelief in your heart concerning the Word of God. In other words, you're believing that, the, that your symptom is more real than the truth of God's Word. Again, there's no condemnation in that. That's just an observation. You know, like you'd walk, drive by somebody's garden and you'd say, oh, those are rose bushes and those are petunias. You're not condemning them by saying what's true about them. So whenever fear about it rises in our heart, we know that unbelief is present. So what I would encourage you to do to be delivered from that is I have a teaching on my website that's called Freedom from Fear. I'd encourage you to listen to that teaching. And then a wonderful article that I wrote called The End of Fear. It's also on the, on the website under the heading Read. I have articles written there. If you'll read that article, it's what God showed me how to combat fear and cast it out. To where when those, when you 
See, it's not that the symptom is, it's not, okay, you've, you've, uh, you know, you've ministered to yourself, you've uh, spoken healing and wholeness, but the minute you feel a symptom, what's the first thing that comes up? Fear. So that shows you the predominant thought of your heart. So I would encourage you to address the fear, cast it out, and when that fear is gone, it's not that it's not going to come back to you. You're going to recognize that the devil is the one that's telling you something about that symptom. And you'll be able to say, wait a minute, no, that's the devil saying this symptom is, is going to do X, Y, and Z. But the word says this, and your heart will gradually switch over to be more confident in what the truth of God's word is saying than what your five senses are telling you and what the devil is using your five senses to communicate to you, which is inspiring the fear. So I want to just encourage you to go to the website, study those teachings. Don't just listen to them and uh, think, okay, I heard them. Oh, I'm still in fear. No, use what God shows you from them to uh, make the course correction in your heart. Like the Bible says, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're, we're moved from a caterpillar to a butterfly when our mind is renewed in a certain area. So when your mind is renewed concerning fear, you'll no longer be a fearful person. You'll be a love-filled person. Amen? So I think that addresses it. Next question. On there, Suzanne, how does the devil give you thoughts and sickness? How can he place a thought inside of us? Okay. Can, can, can we do... Um, we, can we do Deborah's question? Yes. Go to Deborah's question. On the page. Because right. we kind of touched on that already with you, Lottie. The media and my friends all talk about sickness and okay. negative issues that sometimes yeah, come yeah. on by aging. Okay. So this is a good question, Deborah, and I, I did want to address it because uh, many people that I speak with have this same issue uh, or question that comes up. And, you know, as I'm getting older, um, you can't tell it, I know, but I am aging, uh, that you do wonder, you have these questions like, well, how's, what's it going to look like? First of all, I want to encourage you. The word of God says to take no thought for tomorrow. In other words, all those thoughts about what will be or what's going to happen aren't good for us. The Lord says, don't take those thoughts when they come to you. And if you think about it, uh, most of those questions are like teasers to draw your attention away from the confidence that you have in the spirit to looking to your flesh, the outward person. Okay. I want to address the first part of that question. You say, many people say you got to die of something, but that's not true. Uh, the only thing that we should die of or be separated from the word death in the Bible means separation is we should just be separated from our life in the physical part and but we're never going to die okay we're going to be we're going to be changed the moment your breath goes out of your physical your physical life leaves your body you're not going to be cut off you're going to be instantly in the spirit no longer separated by your flesh in other words you're 
you're no longer going to have this weight of your flesh pulling you down. You're going to be 100% free in the spirit and you'll be in the presence of our father and his son, Jesus Christ. So there should be no fear in leaving your body. Okay. The second point I wanted to bring out there is that um, people say that sickness is the only thing that people die of. That's not true. The Bible is very clear. If you read all the testimonies in the Old Testament about how people died, there's no, there's, you know, there's definitely those traumatic deaths, you know, Saul committing suicide is the one that popped into my head, you know, where he killed himself. But there's, there's uh, many testimonies like uh, Abraham, 175, and he slept with his fathers, okay? What's wrong with that? I mean, it doesn't say that he, he died, but it does talk about this. Uh, go to Job. This is an interesting uh, scripture in Job. Job chapter 5. In Job chapter 5, one of these verses says something I want to read. Let's see if I can find it. In Job chapter 5, oh yeah, verse 26, it says, Thou shalt come to thy grave in a full age, like as a shock of corn cometh in, in his season. Okay, what does that mean? Have you ever, you know, we can learn from watching the plants. Have you ever watched a stalk of corn, how it grows? Well, it grows and then it gets, you know, starts off as a seed, it starts to grow up and then it starts to once the fruit is mature and fully ripened on the stalk and that's completely done and the and the fruit is picked what happens well the stalk doesn't die instantly it just begins to fade away little by little by little until all the life that's in it is gone and that's the principle that he's sharing here he's saying look that we're going to go, we're going to reach our age where we are like at our prime, and then we're just going to gently fade away until our life is completely gone. Another good place that I like for myself is in Psalms 92. <clears throat> in Psalms 92. I like this. This is good. It says... Um, it says, verse 12, it says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Notice where this person flourishes, in the courts of our God. And that's true for us today. We walk after the Spirit. That's the court of our God. And we only flourish when we're walking after the Spirit. And then he goes on to say, they shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. There's your scripture. Being fat is a good thing. And it says, to show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. Wow, that is awesome, folks. What confidence. These are where we should have our focus concerning aging. You know, that... Yes, it, it, is, it is a normal part of a mortal body to reach a certain age and then begin to fade. You know, in uh, Isaiah, it talks about how we're going to wear out like an old garment. I mean, I think of a pair of jeans that I 
I must have had for like, you know, four or five years uh, that I wore and I wore and they had they were worn through the knees. They were worn through my pockets where I would put my tape measure in, but they were the most comfortable things. And uh, finally, I just had to cut off the knees because they were ripped all the way around. I made shorts out of them and I wore them a whole nother summer until the butt split out. And uh, so, I mean, that's what will happen to us. I'm not saying our butt will split out, but what I'm saying is that we are definitely uh, going to uh, get to a, a place where we are ready to go, okay? Listen to this. I like this scripture. Let me see if I can find it. I'm in Isaiah 46. Uh, verse 46, verse 3, it says, Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are born by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb, and even to your old age, I am he. And even to the whore hairs will I carry, you know, the white hair, will I carry you. I have made and I will bear. Even I will carry and will deliver you. Wow, isn't that comforting? That is an awesome, awesome word. Wow, we could go on and on. But I just want to encourage you that, you know, uh, don't focus on getting older. Focus on dwelling in the courts of your God every day and let that, like Paul said, let that renew you inwardly day by day, even though your outward man is perishing. Amen. Okay, I got another question for you. What is the fullness of salvation or full salvation? What part of salvation is yet to be revealed? 1 Peter 1, 5, Romans 13. Okay. So um, what is the fullness of salvation? Do you know in Ephesians chapter 1, let me just start there. In Ephesians chapter 1, it tells us this, that, you know, folks, I need to say this. This is so important. You know, um, I so value what God has uh, taught me. And uh, it is so important to me. And, but I don't rely on what I have learned. I rely on the Spirit of God bringing these answers back to my remembrance. You know, I don't sit down and study and study and study and study, uh, you know, all of your questions that you write in me. No, I let the Spirit lead and guide me to answers and bring to my remembrance those things that He has taught me. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 26. And I'm encouraging you that you can also, that just spend time in the word, not trying to maybe specifically answer a question, but just getting to know what your father wants you to know, to have fellowship with him. Like you'd sit down with a friend and have a coffee or sit down to dinner with, with your good friends. And you'd want to know about what, you know, how was your day, what you've been up to, and that's what our heart should be with our Father is like, you know, what's going on? What's on your heart today? I have all these questions, but Father, what's on your heart? And see, out of that comes a communion that, like Peter said, where you can have an answer for the reason of hope that lies within you to everyone that asks. And, you know, many of the answers that I have came from questions just like yours. 
And I didn't go to a to an answer man and a ask the question. I wish I had one at the time. I did. I had a pastor who had a lot of knowledge and I, boy, I spent a lot of time asking him questions, but I learned that and I began to believe that if he can know the answer, I can know the answer. And so if I can know the answer, you can know the answer. And how did I get the answer? I began to believe John 14, 26 and First uh, John 1, no, First John 2, 27, that I have no need that a man teach me, but the anointing which abides in me, it will teach me. And, and I'm encouraging you, these are great to get these answers, but add them to your own heart. Let them be written on the table of your heart by the Spirit of God. So what was that question again? What is the fullness of salvation? Okay, uh, let me read you this scripture. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, listen to what it says. Uh, in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Okay? So, do you know that when we were, when we were born again, we weren't changed instantly. There are still some things that have not been fulfilled yet. Like we are not in the presence of God right now or in the presence of our Savior, nor can we see clearly the things of the Spirit, but they're all ours. They all belong to us. So when Peter talks about the fullness or, or Paul talks about the fullness of our salvation, what they're talking about is that there is still the, uh, the uh, man, me, the real man, being clothed upon with the Spirit of God, just like Jesus had after he was resurrected. So the fullness of our salvation isn't limited to what we've received in our flesh, but actually it goes beyond that. It goes to where our flesh is changed. So the fullness that they're talking about that is yet to be revealed is like it says in uh, Corinthians and right here, that we just have the earnest of what, what is ours. In other words, like if you're buying a house and you put down earnest money on that house, no one can buy that house from underneath you. They could offer them a million dollars more than you offered, but they can't take it. Legally, that house is yours even though you have not completely paid for it. And so that's the way it's, it's about our bodies. Jesus is our earnest money. Jesus put down everything necessary to purchase us. And we are a purchased possession, but yet we haven't been clothed upon, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to how he words it here. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, um, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. He says, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, Death is swallowed up in victory. 
O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? So we're just dwelling in these houses here, limited by our flesh, until we actually receive the, the fullness of our redemption. And what is the fullness of our redemption or our salvation? It includes a changed body and a completely renewed mind. Amen? Okay, so here we go. We're going to keep going. I just got the nod. And uh, I guess I'll sleep tomorrow. Sherry has a question. Okay, Sherry has a question. Can I make a stand to believe for healing and still feel fear? Making a conscious choice to believe but still have negative emotions and my senses not lining up? And that was Sherry? Uh -huh. Yes, absolutely, Sherry. Uh, until this change takes place that I was talking about, uh, your flesh is going to be communicating to you negative information. Why? Because it's mortal. It's not subject to the Spirit of God. So <clears throat> we can uh, know and know that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus and have a symptom in our body. But we, if you start focusing on that symptom, it's going to rob you of the strength that you have in doing all to stand. So our effort should be, like it says in Hebrews chapter 4, we labor to enter into that rest. And how do we do that? It says we study. We're diligent to focus on what the truth is and not on what our body is communicating to us. Did I address that question? Um, I don't know. What does it say? How can I make a stand to believe for healing and still feel fear? How can I make a conscious choice to believe but still have negative emotions? Okay, okay. That's what I, I couldn't uh, get the part about the fear. You know, the Bible says uh, in uh, Proverbs chapter 3 that to be not afraid of sudden fear when it comes. So how do you not be afraid of fear when it comes? You already have the truth in your heart to when the fear comes, you use the truth to cast the thought down. In other words, you know what the truth says and you value that over the challenge of fear. So you can be, I'll use myself as an example. When I received healing, you know, after seven and a half years, I realized, wow, I am healed. And when I received that, I still had all the same symptoms. So the enemy was able to talk to me about them, but it didn't, it was like water off a duck's back. It just ran right off. Why? because I knew the truth. I was fully persuaded that what God had promised was done in the person of Jesus Christ. So I let that rest be greater than all the challenges of fear. And, and you know, the enemy just lost his place. In other words, the thoughts just stopped becoming audible in my mind and heart uh, after a while, because I just knew that it it was done like Jesus in the garden, you know, not in the garden, in the wilderness. You know, the devil just didn't tempt him one time and then take off. No, he was tempted uh, those few times that are recorded. And then it goes on to tell us that he was tempted in other ways like we are yet without sin. So just because you're having a temptation to fear doesn't mean that you've lost everything. On the contrary, the devil's trying to get you to give it up. That's why he's talking to you about it. So you should just say, wow, devil, thanks. I almost forgot that I was healed. And uh, 
So just consider that when it comes. Amen? Amen. What else? Um, the lighting bus. Is it possible to have a longer life expectancy like it was in Genesis? What has made people live shorter and shorter lives? Okay, this is a very good question, but it would require me... Um, it's best explained if I had something to draw in, but I'm going to just share it with you and then you can look at it uh, from the scriptures yourself. And I believe the Spirit will give you the same images or pictures if that's the way you think. So in Genesis chapter 6, man had gotten so far away from following the law in their heart and they had all become, uh, what would you say, united in doing evil. And God said in Genesis 6, he says, man's heart is continually evil from his youth. He said, man, it just makes me, I believe the word he uses, he said, you know, I've, I repent. Like, man, I changed my mind about what, you know, what I did for these, you know, to make man. It really grieved him at his heart. But here's what he said. God said, you know, if man continues to live like they are, like for a thousand years, this world is going to be completely overtaken by evil and there'll be no room for my Savior to come into this world. Uh, so he said this. He said, man's days will yet be 120 years. Okay? So God pronounced that over all of man. Now, how could God do that without violating everyone's individual will or having to communicate to each person, you know, like, okay, I'm going to have to shorten your years now. You know, sorry, but this is, no. God didn't, God had planned way from the beginning because he knows the beginning from the end. He knew exactly what would happen. So when God created the earth, he created the ball in the middle, which we call earth. And something we don't have anymore was a canopy of water that surrounded the earth. It was like the earth was in an envelope of water. Okay. Now, now if you go to Genesis, it talks about how there was no rain, that the ground was water. I mean, the plants were watered from a mist that went up from the ground. Now, we know that mist is like a dew or a condensation. That came up and watered everything. It, God didn't have the first sprinkler system, okay, in the sense like he plumbed the whole earth and it turned on at certain times and watered everything. No, he used, how many of you have had a terrarium? I had a terrarium when I was a kid. And uh, I'd plant these little bitty plants in there and it was just had a small hole in the top and you'd water it like once every, you know, six weeks or whatever, and just a little bit of water. But every morning you'd, I'd get up or when there was a change in the temperature, there'd all be this condensation on everything. And that was the moisture coming up. Okay. Now God used that canopy on the outside as a UV filter. In other words, the radiation from the sun, which is a predominant factor in aging in our, you know, in our bodies, was all filtered out by that uh, layer of water. And, and like I said, study this for yourself. There's tons of science as well as what the Bible says on you know, the effects of radiation coming through water. So you can look that up for yourself. I'm, I'm not going to go into that. So what happened? 
So God, when he removed that canopy, he removed the filter that allowed people to live for, you know, a thousand years. He removed the canopy, that filter. And if you'll do a study from Genesis 6 on to, you know, let's say the Kings, you'll notice that the ages just gradually and gradually and gradually and gradually go down. Now, it's not that the sun became any more intense. It's just that the UV rays entering into people affected their genetics as well. And so over time, man's age began to just be like, you know, like Moses, 120 years was God's and Moses lived that full time. Now we can too as well. There's no no limit other than that 120 years. But in uh, Psalms 90 verse 10, we see that God uh, ministered to us through his spirit that the days of man will be 70 or 80 years by reason of strength. Now that's not a limit. He puts the reason of strength there to show that that's not our limit. That's just if we'll walk after the spirit and we'll live after the spirit and walk with God, we can live out all of our years of promise. Okay. But we're going to need the spirit of God to do that because the earth is wearing out and we're part of the earth and we're wearing out as well. So uh, very important to understand that, that uh, that's the reason our ages are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. But, you know, uh, there's many things that we can do that will give us the fullness of life that God has, you know, re, uh, promised us. And one of them, and I, you know, I hesitate to go here, is that uh, we can eat more healthfully. And uh, that's a choice we can all make. We can choose to eat, uh, you know, healthfully uh, instead of just junk. And uh, we can be mindful to hear the Spirit in our choices, our lifestyle choices. And, uh, and the Spirit's going to lead and guide us to truth. But I, for one, folks, don't see heaven as a concession. I see it as uh, entering into glory. But I, it's more needful for me to be here now to where I can share the things that God has shared with me. And uh, that is my heart and that's my desire for, for, uh, for this time that I am now. Maybe in 20 years, I'll say, get me out of here. <laughs> you know what I mean? But right now I feel like Paul where it's more needful me, for me to be here as part of the body of Christ, ministering to the other parts of the body. Okay, so that wraps that up. Julia, how do we know if we are truly walking in the Spirit? How do you know that you're truly walking in the Spirit? Well, the Spirit of God will bear witness to that. And the more revelation you have of the Word of God, the more aware you'll be of you, uh, the contrast between walking in the spirit and walking in the flesh. To me, listen to this. I think this is a, and, and I'll ask you the question. What was her name again? Julia. Julia. Let me ask you this question. Hold on a second. I'm getting there. How, how much of a contrast is present? Let me read this, between the spirit and the flesh. Let me read 
the manifestations of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murderers, drunkings, drunkings, drunkenness, revelings, and the such like. Okay? That's one section. That's your flesh. Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith. Now, let me ask you, do you have any trouble discerning between those two? Anyone? Anyone? Think about this for a second. If you would, if you would begin to understand, like I said, if you would be like, just do a study. What is love? What is joy? What is peace? What is long-suffering? What do those things look like in people? And when you begin to live after that, then you're going to you're going to know what envying is. You're going to know that murder just isn't taking a knife and killing your spouse. No, it's the hatred that you feel towards them when they do something you don't like. Okay? That's murder too. So there, there, the contrast will be, uh, will be magnified the more revelation that you have and receive of the Spirit and the more you walk in it, the more you're going to realize when a flesh rises up, you're going to say, no, not going there. Amen? Okay, I hope that's helpful. Okay. Peggy, how do you stand for your healing and know that you're healed when the symptoms are screaming at you and they're getting worse? Okay, Peggy, is that Peggy? You know, Peggy, I, I felt the same way that I'm hearing in that question was, you know, look at my testimony. Man, I was going seven years and every time I woke up and it was, everything was still there. It was very disheartening. And I was thinking I was believing that whole time. And I was frustrated many times. I never cursed God, but I was very like, you know, just tell me what to do. You know, I got to get rid of this. And, uh, but what I came to realize through one verse was what uh, in Matthew 21, verse 22, I talk about this much because it was a turning point in my life, was it says, uh, whatsoever you desire, when you pray, believing you receive. And I read that backwards. I read it, if you have received, you have believed. So it really helped me. It brought not condemnation to me. It brought revelation to me. What I thought was believing, I discovered was not believing. It was just hoping so, wishing a great desire and earnest expectation, but it wasn't really believing. Believing is accepting that what God says is true, even in the face of contrary evidence, where we value his word as our evidence his truth as our evidence. And we stop looking to our body, even when we have pain. Uh, and I'm going to tell you this, this is, and many people hear this and it, and it bothers them because they feel like, well, I'm already doing that. But let me just encourage you that when you really have let go of it and you have believed, 
then you're going to discern if the Spirit tells you to speak to it or to address your situation. And you won't be trying to get rid of anything. In other words, even if you have pain that's off the chart, you'll have a peace that it's already taken care of. Uh, uh, my friend on uh, Healing Journeys, Cindy, uh, I love her testimony because they asked her uh, in, in an interview, they asked her, when did your pain go away? Now, she had pain, she said, that was, you know, 15 on a chart of 1 to 10, okay? And she was on pain medication constantly, making cocktails, she said, to mediate the pain. But she said at one point, the pain left. And she can't say what time it left. So even when you're in pain, you can begin to esteem the Word of God and His truth as being so real and relevant in your life that you'll even your body will not even register pain. It will be gone from you and you'll look like one day and you'll say, hey, where'd the pain go? That is what our goal is. So if I'm, I'm just encouraging you. I know this isn't... Uh, what everyone wants to hear, what they want to hear is, you know, you hold your mouth a little to the left like this, and you say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and pain go and it leaves. But there's not a formula like that. There's, there's, there's not. The formula we were given is, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not give place to the flesh. And as you renew your mind and heart, to the Word of God, you will be transformed. And just like a caterpillar looks nothing like the butterfly, okay, at all, that's what's going to happen when the Spirit of God becomes predominant in your heart, is that's what's going to happen is there'll be no place for pain. It won't be part of who you are as the butterfly. Amen? We hope you got some great nuggets of wisdom out of that teaching. Thank you for listening to the Healing Journeys Today podcast. And don't forget, you can find us live on Facebook and YouTube seven days a week. If you would like to donate, please go to www.healingjourneystoday.com. Isaiah 53.5 says, And by His stripes, we are healed. God bless you.